Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jessica. As they mentioned, you could pick up uh, some CDs downstairs in the resource area. All right, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you guys. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. We are in a series talking through Advent. Advent uh, throughout Christian history is a season in the church calendar when we are waiting for his coming. And ultimately, Jesus is coming again, but as we are waiting for his full and final return, he comes to us in many different ways uh, in, our, in our lives, and we are waiting attentively to see the ways that he is coming. And last week, we started off talking about hope and the genealogy that we have, that out of our brokenness, out of our sin, out of the ways that we've been sinned against, that there is hope for our lives. Today, we're going to be focusing on, on peace, and that's the second candle that we're, we've lit today, uh, on peace, and really what keeps us from living in the kind of peace that God has for us. God has a peace that the world cannot give, that the world cannot take away. And yet far too many times we do not live with this reality that peace is for us in our own lives and really in our world around us. And so Matthew chapter 2, when you get there, hold on to your place. I want to go to God in prayer and invite him to speak to us at this time. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for music, the gift that it is to us, the ways that we are able to sing and articulate the deepest longings of our souls. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think about peace and reflect on the kind of peace that you want to offer us during this Advent season, may we walk into it, may we receive it in light of the hustle and bustle of our city in this Christmas season. May we be a different kind of community. May we be a different kind of people, walking and living in your peace. And so we offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Most of us in this room live with a significant tension, and that tension has to do with control, the nature of control. On the one hand, we live, as Henry Nouwen said, preoccupied with control. Control. We like to be in control. We like to control our future. We like to control how much pain enters into our lives. We like to control the temperature. We love the remote control. We like feeling being in control, the feeling of being in control. But inevitably, the tension is that as much as we love to be in control of our lives, inevitably we will come across things that remind us that as hard as we work to control our lives, there are forces out there that seek to remind us that we are not ultimately in control. As Barbara Brown Taylor mentioned one time, she said that we don't lose being in control. What we lose is the illusion that we were in control in the first place. And so one of the ways that we are reminded that we are not in control is through children. Children remind us perpetually that we are not in control. My five-month-old son, Nathan, (laughs) perpetually reminds me I am not in control. I want to wake up at a particular time. I want to go to sleep at a particular time. I want to have lunch at a particular time. I want to take a shower. I want to do the things that I want to do at particular times in the day. But five-month-old babies and maybe 15-year-old kids in your life as well remind us time and time again. And don't let that cute face uh, that he is something else at home disrupting any kind of control. 
Traffic reminds us that we are not in control. That's the LIE right there. You do everything you can possible to get to your destination on time. You get up a little extra early. You have your coffee, you head out, and all of a sudden there's an accident and it reminds you, you are not in control. Sickness reminds us that we are not in control. And ultimately, death reminds us that we are not in control. And all of these things are difficult to deal with because we like being in control. We like things going our way. We like when things go according to plan. Now, before I go any further, I want to say that there is room and space for healthy control. There is, there is a good place for a healthy control. There is the healthy control of our finances. There is the healthy control that when leaders step into chaos around us, that they bring order and control. There is self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. There, there is all kinds of control. When you're driving, it's good to have control when you're driving. That is a healthy control. But the control that I want to look at in our passage today is the kind of unhealthy, destructive control that, that, that has its effects on our lives and in the effects in the lives of people around us. In our text this morning, we come across a man that has had control for a very long time. He liked being in control. He enjoyed being in control. He could not live his a life. He could not imagine not being in control. And then something happened to him and reminded him that he is not in control. And he had to face up to that reality. In Matthew chapter 2, we hear the story of Herod. Hear the reading of God's word. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod... Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another round. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. When we pick up in our text, we have a very familiar scene. We have Mary, we have Joseph, we have Jesus, we have the Magi, we have Herod. It's the Christmas scene that we are accustomed to. 
Jesus has already been born and uh, these people called the Magi come on the scene announcing that the king has been born. The true king has been born. And the Magi were a priestly group of astrologers from Persia or from Babylon. And so Herod hears this news that there is a new king in town and he begins to panic. And, and on the outside, it looks as if he's stable. On the outside, it looks as if he is censored. But on the inside, he is paranoid because he knows that his time of being in control might be up. And so Herod, as the paranoid king that he was, he devises a sneaky plan. He said, listen, guys, I, I want to get in on this. Can you find this new king? And when you find him, text me, inbox me, let me know where he's at. So I could just Google the address and find out where he's at. I want to join you in the worship service. I want to be there. And from the inception of the story, we see that Herod is manipulating and controlling the Magi so that he can remain in control. And so the Magi, they see Jesus, they offer him the frankincense, the gold, the myrrh, and, 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 and they, go, they, they hear a, a dream or a revelation from God that they are to go another way. And Herod hears about this, and this man goes berserk. This man goes crazy. And he's a crazy man to begin with. There are actually accounts of how wicked and how crazy Herod was. He's not the kind of guy you invite to Christmas parties. And, and so this is the account of Herod. At one point, Herod killed three of his sons because he was suspicious of them, thinking that they were about to take his crown. So he killed them so that he can keep control of the crown. The emperor of Rome at one point said that it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Probably worse than all of that, it was when Herod was on his deathbed. And he ordered that the stadium around the area there would be filled with loved and important people from around the land. And his, uh, his announcement was this, whenever I die, you are to kill those important and loved people in the land. Because they might not cry for me, but they'll cry for those people. And I want there to be mourning when I die. This is the kind of man Herod was. And so when we look at the story, you know, when we look at our Christmas story, we tend to want to identify ourselves with characters in the story. We want to be Jesus, the one who was born in weakness and in humility. We want to identify with Jesus. We want to identify with Mary who had the courage to say yes to God's will and to do something that would be so scandalous in the day. And we say, I want to be like Mary. We want to be the magi seekers of God, those that are trying to find where God is and, and how can we worship him. We want to be the magi. We want to be Joseph. We want to be the courageous ones, the one who, who says yes, even though he's going to catch flack from people around him. No one wants to be Herod. And yet, many of us, if not all of us, at one point in our lives or another, live like Herod. Our interior worlds are filled with little Herods inside of us. And God wants to help us to relinquish control in our lives. When Herod hears that there is a new king, he immediately knows that the control that he has enjoyed is about to give, he has to have to give it up. 
And he can't handle it. And in his panic, he becomes violent. In his panic, he grows angry. And this is what happens to many of us when we realize we're not in control. We get violent. We get angry. And this anger or violence might not be visible, but deep down something is seething. Something is inside of us. Anger, resentment, violence is festering inside of us. And so Herod does all he can to hold on because to be out of control meant that Herod was going to have to surrender certain things. And to be out of control in our lives means we're going to have to surrender some things as well. For Herod to be out of control meant that he had to surrender his security. Herod was accustomed as the king to being secure, to to having security. Herod was going to have to surrender familiarity of being the king and familiar with everything. He was going to have to surrender the control of having the last word on all issues pertaining to his life and the land. And when we give up control, the same thing happens. God is inviting us to give up our security. He's inviting us to give up our familiarity. He's giving us the opportunity to give up our control and the last word of our lives. And for many of us, to give up those three things is painful. And yet God calls us to give up these three things because Jesus didn't come so that we could enjoy security. He didn't come so that our lives would be perpetually familiar. He didn't come so that we would have the final say in our lives. That's the American version of Advent. He came to have final say over our lives. He came to move us out of our comfort zones. He came to challenge our understanding of security. And in the face of all this, to let it go, like Elsa, is scary. It is scary. Like Herod, most of us have a hard time letting go. And there are many reasons why we control things. We control things many times because we're perfectionists. We like things being done in a particular way, but underneath the perfectionism many times is a fear of how will I be seen if this is not perfect. We like to be in control because maybe you grew up in an area that was, or family that was out of control. And so you're accustomed to things being out of control. And you're saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to maintain control. This is how I grew up in a family which I deeply love, but growing up, there was a lot of moments where it was just out of control emotionally. And I thought, I'm going to maintain control lest anything bad happen. But at the core of the issue, many of us, we like to hold on to control simply because we don't trust God. But one of the fundamental questions of Advent is this, who is in control? Is it me or is it God? Is it you or is it God? And time and time again, although I say it to myself and say it to others that God is in control, I live a different reality. As one person said, he said, I'm increasingly persuaded that the only two ways of living are this, trusting God and living in submission to his will and rule or trying to be God. And this is what Herod is doing. He is trying to be God. And so when you look at Herod, how do you know whether you're allowing God to control your life? How do you know whether you're allowing God to control your life? Where you're able to say, no, 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 I'm allowing God to control my life. When I look at Herod and I look at my life, there are at least five indications from Herod's life 
of whether you are allowing God to control your life. And here are a few of them. When God is in control of your life, you're able to embrace interruptions. When God is in control, you're able to embrace interruptions. When you're in control of your life, you have no room for interruptions. Rather, you are filled with anger and anxiety. This is why when you get interrupted, like in traffic, you, I mean, what, what comes out? Anger comes out. You don't say, listen, take your time. Whatever, whatever you want to get there, just take your time. I'm okay. No, you're banging the steering wheel. You're, you're grabbing the steering. You're putting, you, you are angry. And actually, anger and anxiety is a good measure to see how much in control is God. How, how are you allowing God to control your life? Anger and anxiety becomes great measuring points for us. Herod was angry. There was no room for interruptions. Secondly, when God is in control of your life, you have a strong prayer life because your life is dependent on God. But when you're in control, you spend little time, if any time, in prayer because you and I were running the show. It is clear that Herod did not have a strong prayer life. Third, when God is in control of your life, you are reflective because you want to know what is God doing in my life. When you are in control, you are impulsive and reactionary. And so notice, if, if, if God was in control of Herod's life, when, when the Magi said, hey, there's a new king in town, this is how Herod would have responded. He would have responded with contemplation and reflection. He would have said, there's a new king. He would have said, wait a second, Magi, let me deep, let me breathe in deeply for a moment. Maybe God is coming to speak to me. Let me have a minute of silence and ah, Lord, is this you speaking to me? Is this your, is, are you the real king? Herod would have been a contemplative. He would have been centered, but Herod, he was impulsive. And reactionary. There's a who in town. There's a what in town. There is, he's impulsive. You know you're in control when you're perpetually impulsive. Making decisions without any kind of reflection or contemplation. When God is in control, fourthly, and, and when loss comes your way, you're still hopeful because you know God is for you. Even though loss comes your way, you lose a job, you lose a relationship, you, you, you are still hopeful because you know God is in control and God has my back and God is going to look out for me. But when you're in control and when loss comes your way, you live with great despair because it all depends on me. And so Herod could not imagine his life apart from his role. If he loses being the king, Herod would say, who am I? There's no hope for my future. And fifthly and finally, when God is in control, you don't feel the need to control other people. But when you're in control, you can't but help to control other people. This is a good word for relationships that whether it's for boyfriends or girlfriends or husbands or wives or bosses and coworkers or mothers and fathers. That there's something inside of us that when anxiety comes or interruptions comes or whatever, we like to control 
people. We want people to do our will. We want people to change when we want them to change. We want to control people. And Herod, from the inception, he's controlling people, the magi. He's controlling everything so that they would do his will. And yet we are invited to pause during Advent and announce to ourselves and to the world that we're not in control. And that we cannot change people. Only God can change people. As Paul Tripp said, as it pertained to parenting, I love what he said about this. He says, successful parenting is about the rightful God-ordained loss of control. The goal of parenting is to raise children who were once totally dependent on us to be independent, mature people who with reliance on God and proper connectedness to the Christian community are able to stand on their own two feet. And in all of our relationships, God is calling us to relinquish the control that we have over people, wanting them to do our will. But we cannot stop here by analyzing Herod. This text in Advent forces us to confront ourselves. And the question very simply of Advent is this, who's in control of your life? Is it God or is it you? And Advent reminds us that God comes and when he comes, he comes to be in control. But the question is, why does God come to be in control? I've been thinking about this very hard this week. Why does God want to just make my life miserable? Why does he want to be in control of everything? I know he made all this stuff, but why does he want to be in control of everything? And as I've been giving it some thought, and as I've been looking at Herod and looking at the Herod inside of me, it became very clear why God comes to take control. And it is this, God doesn't come to take control because he wants to make you miserable. He comes to take control because control very easily becomes a burden that crushes us. Control has a way of crushing us. The weight of control has a way of crushing us. Just look at what it did to Herod. It crushed Herod. It crushed his spirit, controlled, damaged his soul. And here's how I know. Herod was a fearful man. Herod was an angry man. Herod was a violent man. Herod was an insecure man. Herod was a closed off man. Herod was an obsessive man. Control crushed him. And when we are fearful and angry and violent and insecure and closed off and obsessive, we are just uh, expressing the reality that control has crushed us. And so God, in his love, in his mercy, comes in the person of Jesus to take the burden of control off of our shoulders and to give us peace. To give us peace. This is the candle that we lit this, this week to give us the kind of peace to live freely without the need to control everything around us. Because instead of uh, living fearful lives, we can live free from anxiety. Instead of being angry and violent, we can receive what he has for us. And I love what Pete quoted for us earlier, that Jesus says to us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give you peace as the world gives you peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so God wants to come to take the burden of control off of our shoulders because it's crushing you. And if your life is filled with fear and anxiety and anger and obsessiveness, it's crushing you. And he wants to take the burden of control 
off of you. And so the invitation of Advent is to let go of our incessant and exhausting need to control and trust Christ. Maybe you're single today and you've been burdened by trying to control your romantic future. You know, there's a fine line where you're looking to meet someone and there's a fine line when you're obsessing to meet someone. And God, I mean, he doesn't want to take control where we're not, we're just, I'm just going to wait for the Lord and, and just wait here until someone comes here. And sometimes you just got to go out and meet someone, but there's the line that we cross where we are obsessing over our romantic future. And Advent reminds us, Jesus wants you to trust him. That he loves you and has a future for you. Maybe you're married and you've been burdened trying to control and change your spouse. Trying everything you can from subtle recommendations to outright flagrant. This is what you better do. And you're trying to control your spouse. Today, God is coming to you and he's reminding us, trust in Jesus. He has your spouse under control. He'll change your spouse. You'll never change your spouse. And he's inviting us to trust him with that. Maybe you're entering into retirement and and you're trying to line up all your ducks in the row, but you're feeling the burden of control, obsessing over these things. And Advent is an opportunity to trust that God has your future in mind, that he will provide for you, that he is with you, that he is for you. Or maybe you're in a dark season right now and you can't figure anything out. And you're in a cloud, as it were, a dark night of the soul. You've hit a wall. And you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And Advent reminds us that even though you can't see your way out of it, to trust him, that he is with you. The mature Christian life, I believe, is a journey towards being comfortable, not being in control. And this is a lifelong journey. This is a journey that we learn over and over again. And this, this, this insight and revelation gets deeper and deeper in our lives. That it's a journey towards being comfortable, not being in control. This is why prayer is so significant as, the, as a follower of Jesus. Because when we pray, I'll tell you exactly what we're doing. When we pray, there is a transference of control that's giving over to God. When we pray. We're essentially saying, God, this, this thing is weighing me down. I can't do anything about it. I, I want to just take this off of me. And I want to put it on you. That's what prayer is. I'm going to take this off of me and put it on, on you and not take it back because that's what we're good at taking it back. So we give it to God. God, I give you my burden. I give you everything. I got on this. Take it, Lord. Your shoulders are big. Take it in Jesus name. Amen. And we just take it back and we just lift it and we walk that way again. Prayer is a transference of control. Where we say, God, I am scared about my future. God, I'm fearful. I'm angry. I I, I have to give this to you. And I'm going to, by the grace of God, walk away from it. And time and time again, we take it back on. His grace is is always forgiving us. His grace is always there for us. Prayer is is, is the the perpetual transference of control over to God. And this is why one of the ways that you know that you're allowing God to shape your life is that your life is anchored in prayer. And so Advent confronts all of us. Jesus, when his coming, confronts all of us. 
And he has come, the king will come again, and he is coming in the meantime as well. And with his coming, really, the, the, there are two options for us during Christmas time and the rest of our lives. The two options are for, for us are this. Are we going to live with closed hands? Or are we going to live with open hands? Are we going to grasp control? Or are we going to open our hands to say, let your will be done. Your kingdom come. As we think about the, this Christmas season, there are... There are many ways of application for our lives in living this kind of message so that Herod gets eradicated from us. Herod gets exercised out of us. You know, we're always in the process of making decisions. To have an open hand means that you're saying, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? To have a closed hand means it's not that you're necessarily saying, God, you're not going to do your will in my life. That's, we're not as flagrant like that with God. We come at it from a different angle. We don't even ask God. We don't even ask God, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? We live as what Parker Palmer called a functional atheism. Where we say we believe in God, but functionally we live as if we're atheists. And so when we make decisions to live open-handed, says, God, what do you want to do in my life? Close hand says, I'm not even going to ask we're in the holiday season and the truth is we're going to be reunited with family members for some of you this is a very joyful thing for others not so much and there are many experiences intentions and conflicts that you have with family members that you're going to have to see again to to live with an open hand means that you are open to grace and offering forgiveness and mercy during the Christmas season. To live with a closed hand means, oh, no, 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 I'm going to hold on to my resentment and my unforgiveness. And I'm going to control people with this anger and with this resentment and with this unforgiveness. To live with an open hand has everything to do with generosity and how we live our lives. Open hand says, Lord, what you have given me, my time, my treasure, my talent, is for the service to your kingdom in the world around me. To live with closed hands means this is my stuff. This is my time. This is my treasure. This is why we invite everyone at New Life to, at, in the Christmas season to practice generosity. And what we're saying is, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And this has everything to do with some of you in this room that are in a dark night right now. The open hand says, Lord, I am confused. I can't see straight. It's dark, and yet my hand is open to mystery. My hand is open to wonder. My hand is open to not having all the answers. And I don't know how this is going to unfold. And I'm pretty scared and angry in the process. But Lord, my hand is going to be open to you and open to mystery. Where a closed hand says, I'm going to handle things my own way. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Let me ask you a question. How are you living this Christmas season? Open-handed or closed? In Advent, God wants to gently open those hands. And this is what God is doing with you right now. For some of us, maybe we have one hand open and one hand closed. Maybe some of us are living like this. About to knock somebody out, you know? And, and, and God very gently, 
Put your hand this way. God, very, very gently, God wants to just pry it open. And he'll never force it open. God will not say, open your... No, no, God will very gently (laughs) open your hand. I have something to give you. I have a life for you. I have a future for you. I have grace for you. I have mercy for you. Would you open your hand? And this is what Advent is. An opportunity to recognize Christ's coming and to open our hand from being the one in control to saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I want to invite the prayer team, uh, the, the worship team to come forward. I want to give us a moment to pause before we take communion together. And the question very simply that I want us to pause is this. Where in your life today are you holding on to control? Where in your life today are you holding on to control? You might be saying, well, Rich, I... That's a hard question to answer. Let me give you some guidelines. Where are you most angry? Where are you most violent? Where are you most anxious? Where are you most irritable? What in your life right now is producing these things inside of you? They might be an indicator that you're holding on to control. And so where in your life today are you holding on to control? I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Because I believe God is speaking to us. And he wants to take the burden of control off of our shoulders because it's crushing us. And what he has for us is hope and peace and joy and love and fullness of life. And so let's pause for a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to identify right now in your life what's that area? that you need to let go of? What's that area you need to trust him? Let's take a moment and then we'll take communion together. Father, this morning we confess that we tend to be like Herod, control freaks, living with closed hands. And yet you're speaking to us today and very gently trying to open our hands to receive everything you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us your peace, the peace that the world can't give, the world can't take away. May that peace fill our lives, fill our souls, fill our homes, fill our city. And Lord, we come to the table of communion together, being reminded of the length that you went to secure peace for us, dying on a cross. And through your death, you have made peace with us, with God. 
By your death, you have given us peace that sustains us through our lives. And so, Lord, we come to the table of grace, not in our name, but in your name, not in our works, but in your work, not in our righteousness, but in your righteousness. We come to the table. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, let's all stand together. I want to invite you to take bread and dip it in the cup and go back to your seat and hold it before God and I'll come back and I'll lead us together. With the bread in your hand that's been dipped in the cup, I want to give us a moment to repent before God. And I love the flow of communion biblically and theologically because we come to the table of grace. The grace of God is always there for you. The grace of God precedes repentance. You don't repent and God says, okay, I'll give you some grace. God says, grace is already available for you. Now just repent. And so his grace comes to us first. This is why it says in the Bible that it is the grace of God that leads us to repentance. God's grace causes us to repent. So we came to the table of grace. His love, his mercy wrapped his arms around you as you take bread and dip it in the cup. And now he says, now I'm calling you to let go. I'm calling you to repent of all the ways that you control and you're fearful and angry and violent. I'm calling you to say no to that, to say yes to what I have for you. So I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Let's offer our repentance before God. And you know the areas that you've been controlling. I know the areas that I've been controlling. You know the areas that you've been closed-handed. I know the areas I've been closed-handed. And today's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, we repent. Give us the grace to go in a different direction. And so let's pause and then we'll pray the prayer of confession together. But I want to give us a moment to pause. Let's pray this prayer of confession as a family together. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior Jesus Christ that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Let's all take together. Amen. As we close our gathering here, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And you know, the thing about Herod is, that's really sad, 
is Herod had no imagination. He had no imagination. Herod thought, if there's a new king in town, that means I can't be king anymore. He, had no, he, he, he came to his own conclusions. But what if Herod had an imagination? What if he thought, there is a new king in town. And maybe I'm going to rule differently. Maybe I'm going to rule under his leadership now. But I'm going to rule, but under his authority. But he had no imagination at all. It was just this or that. And he had no hopes for his future. And for, so, for some of you today, you probably think it's either this or it's that. And God is saying, my grace and my love and my plans for you is much vaster than this or that. And he's inviting us. He's inviting us to trust him. To have an imagination because of his grace and his mercy and his love for you. And so maybe you're at a place right now in your life where you're fearful, you're anxious, you're worried, you're angry, you're violent. And you want to leave here with an impartation of his peace. This is why we have a prayer team here. To pray for you. To really pray that God would impart his peace on you. Maybe you're here today. You're not even a Christian. Maybe someone invited you today. And God has peace for you. Peace with God. Peace within your soul. And he has it available for you. If you're not a Christian today, Christ is calling your name today. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's saying, open your hands. I have love for you. Open your hands. I have grace for you. Open your hands. I have a future for you. And so if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, to begin a journey, we have a prayer team here that will love to walk you through that process. And your friends will wait for you as long as they need to. And so as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. And we do this every week. No surprise. We're going to do it this week again. As a posture of openness, a posture of receiving. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building empowered by the Holy Spirit to open your hands this week whenever you're tempted to close them. To say yes to his will. To say yes to his peace. To say yes to his plans for you. And may this Christmas season be different than all the others. May you be filled with peace. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the peaceful name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.